Welcome to the Times of Israel's Daily Briefing. Today is Sunday, December 3rd, day 58 of the war with Hamas. Amanda Borchel Dan here with reporter Kanan Lidor and Arab affairs reporter Luca Pacchiani. Hello to you both. Hi, Amanda. Hi. Kanan was at a huge rally in Tel Aviv last night in support of the families of hostages still in Gaza. We'll hear what they're saying as fighting has resumed, and we'll also learn how the truce broke down from Hamas's point of view and about the rise of Hamas in the West Bank. Finally, Kanan will describe a project in which Torah scrolls are being written during the war. All of this and more when we're back. The Technion Israel Institute of Technology is where some of Israel's brightest minds ask the biggest question of all. What if? What if they could take on the world's biggest challenges? What if they could develop life-changing environmental, scientific, health, medical, and technological discoveries that will make a huge impact on Israel and the planet? But they don't just ask the question, they answer it too. They turn those ideas into reality. They make them happen. To see just some of the incredible things they've achieved, get the Technion Booklet of Wonders at ats.org slash wonders. We hope it inspires you to give them your support so they can keep doing what they do best. The American Technion Society. World-changing discoveries by Israel's brightest minds made possible by you. Fighting has resumed in Gaza, and as of this morning, 72 soldiers have been killed, still held hostage by Gaza terror groups when the truce collapsed, where 136 people, 114 men, 20 women, and two children. Ten of the hostages are 75 and older. The vast majority of the hostages, 125, are Israeli. 11 are foreign nationals, including eight from Thailand. So, Kanan, you were at a really massive rally last night in Tel Aviv. First of all, do you have any idea how many people turned out in support of the hostage families? Organizers are saying tens of thousands of people, definitely multiple thousands. Okay, so give us a sense of what was said there. What are the hostage families wanting right now? How are they feeling? It was a rally unlike any other. We've seen a number of those week after week and several times a week uh, since October 7, because this was the first time that a mass rally happened where uh, people who had been freed, released themselves from Hamas, spoke um uh, several of them sent in video messages just two or three were actually present very brief statements these are people who've been through hell and so there weren't any big speeches by, by them uh elena trufanova uh with her mother said um that thank you without you I wouldn't be here uh, and then immediately uh we need to get my son sasha back uh, who is still in there. Uh, others uh, who hadn't been abducted themselves but received their uh, loved ones back, like Hadas Calderon, uh, shared the first few minutes uh, after the release and uh, the spontaneous cry from her children, Sahar and Erez, was, Mom, you're alive, which gives us an insight into the uncertainty and just the 
the the disc the feeling of of insulation and and disconnect that these people in Gaza must be feeling right now. They assume that all of their families had been killed. Uh, and I actually spoke to one woman who had attended there because she wanted her um, as as a protester, uh, demanding her daughter and three grandchildren uh, back. Uh, this was Yelotem, and f- now she received all of them back. The f- the father of the family is also alive, and she's transformed from this grieving person who can't even sip a coffee without thinking, oh, do they have water uh, where they are, to a person who's feeling incredibly lucky and elated and at the same time torn because all of her community from Kfar Aza, uh, one of the epicenters of the massacre of October 7, uh, are just devastated because their loved ones are are still in Gaza. The stories just keep coming and they're terrible. And on Friday's podcast, we heard a lot about how the hostages were treated. There was a lot, a lot of support there on Saturday night. But what do they actually expect? What are the next, as we say, tachlis, the next concrete steps that they expect to be taken by the government or by the army? Noam Tibon's father of Amir, who rescued uh, his son Amir from Nachal Oz, uh, he, I think, was the most um, explicit about it. And he's saying, we want another round of, uh, of exchanges and a ceasefire. And we've, sh- we've shown that the IDF is perfectly capable of returning to fighting. There was a lot of concern that once a ceasefire is reached, there'll be international pressure and we'll never go back and we'll never topple Hamas, as the, which is the stated uh, goal of the operation. But here we are, we're back, we're fighting. That means we can do this again. Uh, and, and that's basically the demand. Um, failing that, the uh, families, or at least the forum of the the, host- the hostages' families' forum, they want uh, a, a meeting uh, face-to-face with the war cabinet. Right. And do you expect that this meeting will actually take place? Yeah. It's, um, it's not inconceivable. Uh, the cabinet wish has met with the uh, representative of the parents before. Uh, but of course, a ceasefire is is not at all on the table right now, and that's um, that's a, a maximalist um, request. Luca, let's turn to you. Yesterday on the podcast, we heard from Manny and from Jacob about the official line from Israel and from the United States why the truce broke down. Can you tell me what Hamas has been saying? So Hamas has been saying that um, uh, from their point of view, they've uh, released already all the women and children as well as the foreign workers, although we know that um, there's about 17 women, at least, in uh, Hamas captivity. What they're saying is that the people, the Israelis, that are still um, uh, in their hands are all soldiers or formal soldiers, including the women and including uh, the older men, some of whom Hamas claims are reservists. So everyone has somehow been involved with, still involved with the IDF, and therefore they're considered military hostages and not civilian ones. Um, it also claimed that it released all the foreign workers, and we know that not to be true because we just said there's a lot, around uh, 11 foreign workers, most of them ties, uh, still in Hamas hands. So they're obviously uh, not telling the truth. Um, they also said that they don't uh, plan to release any further hostages until uh, um, the war ends, until Israel basically uh, holds the hostilities. Uh, so they claim that there's no room for negotiation, although we know that they tend to change their mind pretty often on that. They also said that they're willing to exhume the bodies of uh, dead Israelis in return for the bodies of dead Palestinian prisoners in Israel. 
but that it will take them some time to find, locate those bodies and uh, take them out of the ground. So that's part of the negotiation. Thank you for that update. Let's go to the short break. You're listening to this podcast. So I know you care about the war in Israel right now. And you've been reading the headlines. Massacre in Gaza. Genocide perpetrated by Hamas. No, by Israel. But if you've been listening to this podcast long enough, you know one thing. This stuff seems complicated. And honestly, no one can really just pick a side or decide an opinion without really learning, without really knowing what you're talking about. And that's where this podcast comes in. Check out Unpacking Israeli History, now in its sixth season. They have episodes with topics ranging from what is Hamas anyway, to whether Israel should ransom captured soldiers, and the history of Israel and its disengagement from Gaza in 2005. Unpacking Israeli history cuts through the noise and helps you understand Israel's present through understanding Israel's history. So, educate yourself. Learn the history behind the headlines. Find Unpacking Israeli History wherever you listen to your podcasts. And Rebecca, Kanan, you went down south last week, and of course the war has restarted, but these communities have been destroyed. And what are you seeing there right now? Well, my uh, assignment was to uh, get to the bottom of reports and pictures and videos that we're seeing of renewal down south. Uh, we're seeing pictures of the dining hall in Berry, for example. And the dining hall is a symbol of the kibbutz, of course. That's that's the water hall, and Berry is a symbol of the massacre. And uh, the fact that it's full of people is just something that really uplifts uh, hundreds of thousands of people here. And there are dozens of people working in Berim, dozens of kibbutzim members, since October 15, actually, uh, because the printing shop, which is the main industry in kibbutz Berry, opened that day, or just a week after the massacre. So the employees and who are kibbutz members, again, they go to work, it's a Beri print, and then they go back home to the Dead Sea hotels where they're living. And in the meanwhile, a semblance of a community is just being created. Uh, there are also individual kibbutz members who are not working for the print shop or are coming back to feed the uh, the petting zoo or to take care of the animals on the in the petting zoo uh, and such and such tasks there are many in the kibbutz and um, the, what I found also there and also in Niram which is one of the kibbutzim where the uh, readiness uh, squad where their defense team managed to stave off the terrorists that it, it, the reality on the ground is much more complex than what we're seeing in social media, that they're back and they're sowing the wheat. They are. They're sowing the wheat in Berry, but this place is a, a war zone. Um, there's the marking of Zaka, the markings of Zaka everywhere on the houses, uh, just detailing how many dead, uh, how many terrorists, how many dead Jews in each building. It's just indelible. And, and so they have to... They have to live there, and they have to put on a brave face, some of them told me, for the rest of us. Uh, in Niram, I came to the home of Ami and Nicole Rabin. Uh, Ami is the 
previous security officer. And while we were there, uh, Nicole was w- w- looking for Tuni, her 16-year-old cat. And then Ami found her, or what's left of her, um, just in pieces on the grass under a blanket of carrion flies. You know, horrible sights that you really can't feel at home in. And then there was the rush to, to pick up what's left of Tuni and hide it before the daughter of that one of the four children of that couple come home, the one who found her 16 years ago. So there's all these very real dilemmas that we don't see reflected. Uh, and it'll take, it'll take probably as long as it will take to rebuild the kibbutzim. And we're talking about a projection of, of one year for some of those kibbutzim and probably much longer than that till these uh, places to feel like home again. Kanan, thank you for the report. Luca, let's turn to you and talk about the rise of Hamas in the West Bank. This just seems like you know, a horror show projection. And are you seeing that this is actually being realized? Yeah, so we've all seen the scenes of uh, large crowds welcoming the Palestinian prisoners uh, back to the West Bank. Um, a lot of uh, green Hamas flags waving even in Ramallah, which is um, the center of uh, Fatah's power, you know, the rival of uh, Hamas. So those were unprecedented scenes. I've spoken with uh, Khalil Shakiki, who is a prominent Palestinian pollster who does regularly polls of uh, Palestinian public opinion to see what support for the the, the ruling party. Um, he said that support for Hamas in the West Bank, in his opinion, he doesn't have um, hard data on that yet, uh, has tripled um, since the, um, Israel started releasing the Palestinian prisoners. It's still not that high because it was, he said, in September, so long before the start of the war, um, it stood at about 12%. Now he claims it's about 36%. So it's still uh, far below you know, the majority of the Palestinian people. But uh, there is no danger of Hamas taking over the West Bank just because Israel has arrested so many Hamas militants since the start of the war. Every night there are incursions by the Israeli army in Palestinian refugee camps and and just uh, arresting Hamas militants there. So he doesn't see that as a danger for now. Um, and I've also spoken to Michael Milstein, who is the head of the Palestinian Studies Forum at the Moshe Dayan Center at Tel Aviv University, who says that the real danger right now uh, could be a mutiny inside Palestinian security forces. Just uh, people generally being disappointed with the Palestinian Authority, with uh, Mahmoud Abbas, with uh, his uh, impotence in the face of... Uh, uh, the Israel war in Gaza, and that could be a real danger, not Hamas forces uh, taking over, but rather the um, Palestinian um, security forces imploding um, at some point. There are no signs of that yet. It was just a speculation, but it's something that we should be bear in mind uh, for the future. Wow, uh, really frightening stuff. Okay, Kanan, let's end on an upbeat and talk about a Torah scroll project that is being carried out. Uh, in several different ways, in several different forms, actually. So first of all, I just found it interesting that Taurus girls are taken into war. So the IDF is right now looking for more Taurus girls, but this project of filling in, of writing the Taurus girls is also fascinating. Tell us about it. So, the, yeah, there are multiple initiatives. There are multiple initiatives of writing Taurus girls uh, where just uh, random people, basically, uh, are encouraged to write the to fill in the letters that a sofer stand that a scribe has written uh, in the Torah, which is a very difficult um, on the scroll on the parchment. It's a very difficult task, and then you get to kind of participate and and put the finishing touches. There are tens of thousands of characters uh, in each scroll, so it's a massive crowd crowd sharing operation that that connects a lot of people 
also the situation and the moment and and, and our, our Jewish people, our Jewish uh, traditions. Uh, and I was, I participated, I actually filled one of those letters last week. There was, you know, we, we watched the reports from Hostages Square uh, in Tel Aviv, but actually... Uh, between in between those dramatic moments, there there can be very slow moments there with just a few dozen people roaming around, um, and and that also produces some lonely moments for family members who stay there, who camp out there, just to raise awareness to the cause because yeah, it's not so uh, it's it's not so encouraging. And so what happened is a, a group called Ayelet Shacha, which um, is is one of those. Uh, groups bridging between seculars and, and religious people, especially in the kibbutzim, they set up a tent, they brought their scribe, uh, and uh, they just played played some music. There was a concert which drew the people in, and then there were kind of attendants who offered the people from the audience to write in those uh, scrolls. Uh, the women hold the tip of the, of the quill, so uh, not, as not to touch the scribe, who's a man, uh, and that that was shmirat negiah. The men put their hands on the hand of the scribe, so he really guides you through the letter. And it just appeals to so many people from so many different backgrounds: seculars, the, the ultra seculars from the kibbutzim, and people who are actually Haredi and came there, but it's kind of foreign to them because it's the heart of Tel Aviv and it's very secular. And then they find this oasis of their tradition that they connect to and, and really be part. It's a very beautiful moment. And um, there are other initiatives like this in uh, civilian society, but also in the army. So the army has taken Torah scrolls for the various units and the chaplains, but also Parchments with scribes, and there's just a few of them, just like two or three, uh, touring the, around the units in Gaza and, and filling uh, filling up these uh, books. And one word about the Ayelet Shachar project, one of the books they're writing is going to be inaugurated at Kibbutz Beri. Just fascinating and heartwarming. Kanan, Luca, thank you for joining me today. Thank you. Thank you, Amanda. Thanks for listening to the Times of Israel's Daily Briefing. Please check out another installment tomorrow. This installment was produced by The Podwaves. If you have questions or comments about this or any other episodes, please drop us an email at podcast at timesofisrael.com. Until tomorrow, shalom. <laughs>